The name of God is important. It's here so that we can remember who he actually is. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible, the world's best-selling book. It is a good day to read the Bible, and as we go through the Bible, join us, won't you? Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? Today, I'm going to be focusing on Deuteronomy 17 and the rules for kings. Ryan? Well, today it's going to be a little bit of a geology lesson because we're going to be taking a scientific survey of some rocks, minerals, crystals, and gems, many of which we read about in the Bible. Very good. Look forward to that, Janice. Today, for God so loved. All right. Very good. We're going to be talking about Deuteronomy chapter 16. It's a good day to read the Bible and understand three principles that God has outlined for us in this passage. And so as we look at the Passover and consider what God has done, Let's think this through for our lives today. Let's open up the Bible and listen to God. Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 8. Observe the month of Aviv and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Aviv, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall leave no unleavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it, that is, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall roast and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. You know, Deuteronomy 16 is an amazing book, which Moses obviously wrote under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who possessed him when he wrote it. It's just absolutely stunning and amazing. We have to remember that God arranged special celebrations that would help Israel remember. That's right. Most important celebration in Jewish faith is the Passover. It remembers the nation's beginning, their miraculous rescue by God in the event of the Exodus. Seven days of celebration are commanded by God in the 16th chapter of Deuteronomy. Elements of the festival highlighted the important elements of the original Exodus event. Now, the Passover was to remind the Jewish people of God's power, God's strength, and his will to save them. Passover also points to the work of Jesus Christ, 
Yeshua HaMashiach claimed association with the Passover lamb several times during his earthly ministry. Now, this is important for Christians, for people who believe in Jesus Christ, like me and you, to keep this in mind. We also celebrate God's strength and power and his will to save, which has absolutely no rival. It also reminds us that God is not alone and not done with this world. He saves for a reason. God can make changes in our world more quickly and efficiently than any man-human government could even dream of. In fact, the best thing that we can do is to get ourselves behind Jesus Christ and follow his lead. He will not leave us in a sinful world forever, trust me, but that's important for us to do. Now take your Bible guide and turn today to this page because this page is uh, all about the chapter in Deuteronomy. And as we focus on it, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. First of all, we need to, to praise God for what he's done. But if you don't have a Bible guide, write to us. And you can also make your request and we'll send it to you. Or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it. It takes you to a page where you can download it. It's very, very interesting. Father, I pray today as we study this, that you would help us to learn the truth about Passover that we would understand as people, many people, and there are, there'll be some Jews too, praise God, but who believe and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we would see the parallel here. We would see what, you're, what you've done with Passover and how Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, fulfilled all of that. And we thank you, Father, that you have done that. Help us to hear that in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. With that in mind, let's read the first part of chapter 16. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the Egypt by night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord, your God. And from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. Now, this is fascinating, beloved. Look at this. The name of God is important. We must remember who he is. Now, there are many who are deceived and do not know the name of true God. That is Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. This is very important. We call on Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. That's who we call on. Jesus Christ saves us from our sin. Now, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things and all of that, but only God has provided a way for us to become holy. Only God is holy. You know, there's no other worship practice or anything that makes us holy. It is Jesus Christ exclusively who makes us holy. That's not a particular uh, religion or movement. That is the truth of the Bible, following the word of God, Jesus Christ. That's important. We need to keep that in mind. This is what Passover was all about. Now we go on and it says, you shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. 
And no leaven shall be seen among you in all of your territory for seven days. Nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice in the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. Now, beloved, this is very important. We need to pay attention to it. Listen carefully. God's people were to eat unleavened bread with the sacrifice for seven days. Now, God desires that we remember that he, what he has done for us. I want you to keep this in mind because this is very important. If Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb and fulfilled all of the things, we can see the great joy that the Jewish people celebrate being delivered from Egypt. I can't think of a better reason than for us to worship Jesus Christ because he has delivered us from the sinful infested world that we live in today. Now, can you imagine that? There will come a time when Jesus will return to the earth and he will rule for a thousand years, Revelation 20 and 21 and 22. And we need to pay attention to that, beloved, because the Lord will bring that time soon. Now, with that in mind, we go to the longest portion of the, of the read here today, and it's, and no leaven shall even be seen. Actually, you may not sacrifice the Passover with any of your gates with which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall sacrifice the lamb. That's important. At twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time that you come out of Egypt, and you shall roast and eat it in the place of the Lord your God that he chooses. And in the morning, you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days, you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall not work on it. Now, this is very important to keep in mind. So the Passover sacrifice was to correspond with the timing of God's redemption from their slavery in Egypt. You see, God has taken us out of bondage into his freedom through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. God has taken us out of this capturing bondage of sin where we serve ourselves to bringing him to the front of our life. And when we do that, beloved, things change for us. And we can't do that alone. We have the help of the Holy Spirit, which God himself prepared for us. And when we bring our lives to him, the Holy Spirit comes into us and begins to turn things around in our life. It's a big, long, journeyous uh, event where we actually change. People do change through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so come to Jesus today and say, Father, I believe that you came and died on the cross and gave your life. And I believe you. And I want you to take mine. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life now. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone who listened to me and who is serious about this prayer said in their heart and out loud, amen.
Okay, so I'm really excited about my segment today because it's going to be a little bit of a geology lesson since we're going to be exploring the composition of some different rocks, especially precious and semi-precious stones. And the Bible mentions quite a few of these, such as diamonds, rubies, and emeralds, just to name a few. So check it out. From the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, the Bible makes many mentions of beautiful and valuable rocks. For example, in Genesis 2.12, we read about onyx stones. And in Exodus 39, the high priest was decorated with several precious and semi-precious stones, including, but not limited to, diamond, ruby, sapphire, emerald, and amethyst. Some other notable mentions of precious and semi-precious stones are found in Job, Ezekiel, and the aforementioned book of Revelation. Clearly, the creator God of the Bible appreciates beauty, and these stunning stones come in an array of sizes, colors, and formations. And with modern technology, scientists have finally been able to go behind the scenes and thus into the mind of God a little bit and identify and unlock the physical properties and the chemical compositions of rocks. And Christian scientists Michael Ord and Robert Carter, in their book Biblical Geology 101, have done just that. As they explain, with only a few exceptions such as coal, rocks are composed of minerals, and any given rock type can have one or more likely various combination of minerals. Minerals are made up of atoms that are arranged in a repeating order. This order is incredibly important. For example, even though coal and diamonds are made up of nearly pure carbon, the precise arrangement of the carbon atoms in a diamond makes them hard, clear, and quite beautiful. Diamond is very different from coal, but the only real difference is the order of atoms within. Each mineral has its own chemical composition and its own distinctive physical properties. These are often used to identify the rock. A few rock types are composed of a single, fairly pure mineral. We call these crystals. Some crystals are common, like quartz. It is made of one part silicon and two parts oxygen, so we call it silicon dioxide. And it is so common that ground-up silicon dioxide is just called sand. Pure quartz is nearly transparent, but quartz crystals can also have beautiful colors if they contain specific impurities. Amethyst is a purple to reddish purple quartz that contains traces of iron or one of the other iron-like transition metals. Rose quartz is pinkish in color and contains traces of titanium, manganese, or iron. Other crystals are rare and beautiful, making them valuable. These include diamonds, rubies, sapphires, and emeralds. These crystals are called gems. So, to summarize, rocks are made of minerals, and minerals are made of one or more elements from the periodic table. We also know that all gems are minerals, but not all minerals are gems. Now, I don't know about you, but personally, these discoveries caused me to take a step back and to echo the words of Job when he said, But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. 
Okay, so I hope that you enjoyed that brief little science report. And if you want to go deeper, then I really want to recommend to you that you pick up a copy of Biblical Geology 101 by Michael Ord and Robert Carter, which you can get through Creation Ministries International. And their website is simply creation.com. I know both of these guys personally, and they are top-notch scientists and researchers. As a matter of fact, if you were watching the January programs, you might recall that I had Dr. Rob Carter on the program for a few days. And I also had Mike Ord on a few years back as well. And if you want to see those interviews, then they are available on my World by Design series. Mike Ord is on a World by Design 1, and Dr. Rob Carter is on my latest World by Design 3. And lastly, if you want to rewatch this segment, then I have posted it to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Hembry. Yeah, it's very interesting because uh, Rob Carter's a great guy. He's just, uh, and he's very concerned about the details and all of that. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, brilliant scientist. Yeah, Mike Ord as well, too. He's a great, Unbelievable. great scientist, um, largely responsible for the Ice Age model um, developed in creation science. So, very yeah, good. are getting very positive feedback from your World by Design 3. Oh, that's people great. Really and I, I want to encourage people to get a hold of it because it's important and uh, it's great. It's great. I've given many out and I just encourage you to get a hold of it either on digital or on the DVD series, either one. We have them both. So just get a hold of us on the website or call us and uh, we'll get it for you. All right, Corey, you're up. All right. Well, our reading today, what our assigned reading, so not what we read on the show today, but our assigned reading, if you're reading through the Bible with us this year and you want to make it from Genesis to Revelation and get all of the details in there, that assigned reading for today was Deuteronomy 15 to 18. So I wanted to focus in on a section of Deuteronomy 17 here that, that really comes into play later on in the scriptures, and that is the laws concerning Israel's kings. Now, this is really interesting because Deuteronomy is the second retelling of the law, but it's the retelling of the law specifically for the people who are going to be moving into the promised land, moving into Israel and setting up Israelite society, right? So it makes sense that the laws for kings are here. And, and, you know, it's really, really interesting that God gives them permission here. He knows it's going to happen. They're going to want a king. And he gives them permission here in verse 15. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. So God is still supposed to be involved in this process. And then he continues to go on to add stipulations to who this king is and what this king should and should not do. So the first thing that we learn is that the this king needs to be one of the covenant people. He needs to be a descendant of Abraham, a, de- a physical descendant of one of these Israelites who is currently going into the promised land. Okay, Fair enough, right? To, to be a covenant person. Uh, and then what are the rules here? Let's just read a couple verses starting in verse 16. Uh, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. All right. This is interesting because at one point in, in, in Genesis, God had used Egypt to save the family of Abraham. So it's really interesting to me that God has set up this principle, not to look at Egypt as the people's savior. Egypt saved you once. I used Egypt to save you once, but now 
I will save you. So there's this emphasis right away on full dependence on God. And then God continues to go on in Deuteronomy 17 to not only outlaw horses. So he's saying, don't multiply horses, even horses from Egypt, which makes sense. Because when you go back and you look into history, horses, there were especially bred chariot horses in ancient Egypt that were highly sought after. Think like a really expensive car that can also be used as sort of like a military tank. that That's kind of what you're looking at for ancient kings and ancient horses here from Egypt. He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Why? All right. So we can understand right away, you know, that there, these are issues, these are points of pride, right? Points of pride for ancient men. We can understand that, but there's some cultural issues as well. So with uh, the horses, again, these are military animals that they are used for chariot forces. And the idea was not only could a large chariot force protect you, but it could intimidate other nations from attacking you in the first place. It was supposed to repel ancient war. But the Israelite kings weren't supposed to have this because the only protection they were supposed to need was God. They were supposed to have radical reliance on God for his protection. And it turns out it's the same thing with wives. So there is this element of power with ancient kings when it came to having many wives um, because it showed that they had the great wealth and money that they needed to take care of all of these women and children, but also they were political alliances. So if you had a lot of political alliances, again, this dissuaded people from attacking you because you could call on your allies in war. And the same thing with wealth. Wealth. If you were extremely uh, powerful and with money, uh, not only did people look at you and it was a point of pride, oh wow, that king has a lot of money, but also you have money, you could hire soldiers, you can buy yourself out of warfare. So we see here security, status, and pride, these points of pride that Israelite kings were supposed to have nothing to do with because their, their complete reliance was supposed to be on God. Keep these things in mind from Deuteronomy 17 as we continue to read through the scriptures. When you look at Solomon, Mm-hmm. And you look at all of the things taking place. You look at the kings following David and all of that taking place. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. You've got to remember Deuteronomy 17. Very yep. good, Corey. Thank you. Janice? Yes, for God so loved is my segment today. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 16, which is a review of the Passover. And for our precious Jewish people, um, the Passover is such an amazing remembrance um, of what God did, the miracles that they did um, to escape Egypt, and so much more. But I want to take a look from a Christ follower's point of view that we should never forget what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us as well. The shedding of his blood on the cross, pay the penalty for our sins. He forgives us of our sins, and he gives us the gift of eternal life. I called it, For God So Loved. Because of John 3.16, that verse that uh, a lot of us know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In Luke chapter 22, we see Jesus preparing for the Passover and to eat the Passover with his disciples. And 
we get down to verse 14, and the Bible says, When the hour had come, he, meaning Jesus, sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup. And you'll remember as we go through the Passover, and we've learned about the Passover, that each of these elements have a very, very special meaning to the Jewish people. So then Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. I can only imagine, Rod, the probably profound silence in the room as Jesus spoke, because these elements that had meant so much and still mean so much to these men that sat with Jesus in those moments had a new meaning, had a fuller meaning to them. I think it's important to remember that these moments that you talk about where the revelation, uh, it's, it could be called revelation or in many senses of the word, an epiphany takes place, uh, a knowledge that you don't normally have that suddenly it's there and that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, you see this and, it, and it's impactful because it shows up several places in scripture. But uh, 1 Corinthians 11 is another place it shows up. And God uses this to tell us the truth about what is going on. And so that, that is really something. So as we go through the Bible, there are moments in time when we, you're reading the Bible and you're saying, wait, I never saw that before. It's because the Holy Spirit is quickening your mind at that moment to reveal something to you. And that becomes very important. So let's keep that in mind today. I want to say thank you to everybody who's become partners with this ministry. It's really important. We don't write long letters or do all of that work. We just simply pray and ask God to help us. And you know, the Holy Spirit uses you to keep us strong. So thank you so much for doing that. Today, let's pray together and say, Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you and we want you to take our life and make it what you want it to be. Not what we want to be, but what you want it to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen.